Bows and TKOs, episode 36. We are live on this beautiful Friday afternoon in the Valley. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. Rocking my Angels gear, not very high hopes for the season, but spring training has begun here in the Valley. Excited for some of that action. Have some of my cousins coming this weekend to come have some fun, escape the Pacific Northwest weather. Get some of this 80-degree action, catch some baseball games, and I just got back. That's why I have a, a later pod this week from Salt Lake City on one of the best ski trips I've ever had with amazing snow, skied four mountains in six days. What a life, what a life. But you want to talk about action, we got that MMA action this week. We're going to pre preview the PFL versus Bellator Championship Recap UFC 298 with the shocker in the main event in Anaheim and preview UFC Fight Night Mexico City. So let's jump right into the MMA action. Some fights that we have booked. We have Joaquin Buckley taking on Vicente Luque. Uh, Joaquin Buckley stepping in for that March 30th main event. Uh, Vicente Luque was supposed to fight Sean Brady. The fight was never official. Sean Brady recovering from injury. Either way, we're getting a banger on that March 30th card. Added to the March 30th card, we got Nate the Train, Nate Landaware, taking on Pat Sabatini. That should be a great matchup. In April 27th fight night, we got Joel Alvarez and Matush Rebecki in the lightweight division. Uh, two young up-and-comers. We got Tabitha Ricci. Taking on Tisha Torres, May 11th. Tisha Torres' first bout uh, in the UFC in quite some time after uh, having her baby with the champ, Raquel Pennington. We got Angela Hill taking on Luana Pinheiro, May 18th. And Alex Pereira, Jamal Hill, UFC 300. That was the main event that every was going to shock everybody. And... I was expecting Bilal Muhammad, Leon Edwards for the UFC 300 main event. Um, I guess they uh, proposed three options for that fight for Leon Edwards besides Bilal Muhammad, which is crazy. Uh, but Dana White set the stage that this was going to be a massive, massive UFC 300 announcement main event. And this doesn't quite hit. This is going to be a great fight. Alex Pereira was actually supposed to be booked in this fight for UFC 301. I'm a little shocked that Jamal Hill is going to recover from his Achilles injury, Achilles tear in time for UFC 300. So lots of question marks here, but it seems like he just kept running out of options. He wanted to get Kamzat. Kamzat's not fighting over Ramadan. There's just been so much drama around the card. Either way, the card is yoked, in my opinion. I'm excited for that in UFC 299 as I head to Miami here in a couple weeks to go see the Sugar Show and still defend that bantamweight ch uh, championship. We also have the Aaron Blanchfield Manon Fiero fight moved to UFC Atlantic City as the main event. We had the Alonzo Menafield and Carlos Olberg bout moved to the May 11th fight night card as well. So a couple moves and a couple fighters worth mentioning off the UFC roster. We've had Devin Clark and Zach Pauga, who have recently uh, took some L's off the UFC roster. We also have Stephanie Ager and Abubakar Nurmagomedov no longer in the UFC. So some noteworthy names no longer on the UFC roster. 
And we got all kinds of things happening. Fights books, fights moved, UFC fighters cut. We got the Gervonta Davis announcement. Gervonta Davis, um, a free man back into the boxing world, will be taking on Frank Martin sometime late spring, early summer, they're announcing. So it'll be nice to see Tank back in the um, ring. And then in the world of PFL, lots of headlines. Um, it is announced that Francis Ngannou will fight the winner of Ryan Bader and Renan Ferreira um, in his first PFL bout. The guy who bounced from the UFC, supposedly took an L, has now damn near defeated Tyson Fury, will be boxing Ox, uh, Anthony Joshua and getting a PFL bout. A 40-year-old Ryan Bader or a very young and green Renan Ferreira definitely does not compete with the heavyweights in the UFC, but Francis Ngannou getting multiple fights announced, getting the bag, per se. Shout out to Francis Ngannou. But we do this weekend have the PFL Bellator Championship on Saturday because it's in Saudi Arabia. The prelims are at 9.30 a.m. Pacific on ESPN+. And then the main card at 12 p.m. Pacific on ESPN Plus pay-per-view. PFL getting that ESPN Plus pay-per-view action. And as I've been doing bows and TKOs, business and buckets over the course of time, I have really tried to give Bellator, PFL, One, Risen, other promotions the ability to showcase my time, really win me over as a fight fan. And every time I watch these, I am vastly underwhelmed and just not that excited. This is the biggest card that the PFL and Bellator, since PFL's bought Bellator, has put on with the championship fights. There's already been some fighters out due to injury. And I'm really just, I feel like there's some lopsided fights here. But to be honest, I am not hyped about the UFC Mexico City card besides maybe two fights. I, I do think it's a pretty lackluster card. And we're not breaking down a ton of the fights because I just don't feel like it's really worth the time. It's either very lopsided fights, very young fighters fighting each other. So if PFL were to have a weekend to win over MMA fans, this is it. And these are the fights that will be going down. Again, I, I just feel like it's a little underwhelming. We have Renan Ferreira, Brian Bader at heavyweight. Ryan Bader at 40 years old, taking on a very young, hard-hitting Renan Fer Ferreira. I am taking Renan in this fight, but I, I, I don't expect to see too much. It's going to be Ray, Ryan trying to avoid power, trying to grapple, and Ferreira looking for the knockout shot. We have uh, a fighter who's, who was cut from the UFC, Impa Kasagane, taking on Johnny Eblen. I think Johnny Eblen's going to smoke him, uh, as I think Johnny Eblen's one of the guys that can compete in the UFC. We have Ray Cooper III taking on Jason Jackson. That's a pretty solid fight. I'm taking Jason Jackson in this one. We got, in a non-title fight, former PFL winner Bruno Capaloza taking on newly minted heavyweight Vadim Nemkov. So it'll be interesting to see how Vadim does at the heavyweight division. Two ex-UFC fighters, Tiago Santos taking on Yoel Romero. If I had a pick, I'm probably going to take Tiago Santos. Yoel is just older than shit. Uh, but could you have imagined that fight in the UFC and I will be taking Vadim Nemkov at heavyweight. We got Clay Collard taking on AJ McKee, a grappler versus striker. I'm really not too sure who to pick here. I'm probably going to go with AJ McKee. And on the free prelims, some decent fights. We got Gabriel, Gabriel Braga taking on Aaron Pico. 
And um, boxer turned MMA fighter Clarissa Shields with her third pro fight taking on Kelsey DeSantis. So worth watching her career trajectory. But that's the PFL supercard, quote unquote. Again, the best fights I would say is the Capaloza Nemkov fight, uh, the Jason Jackson Ray Cooper fight. This could really be a dud, but for UFC fans, the idea of Tiago Santos, Yoel Romero's nice. And Clay Guida versus AJ McKee is probably the best fight. We don't get uh, the Pitbull brothers. We don't get, um, uh, shoot, uh, Sergio Pettis in here. So I just feel like there's some good names that we missed. Obviously, Megomed, Megomed Karimov was injured. Jesus Pineda injured. So they were dealing with some things. But let's see if the PFL can put on a better uh, product in the UFC this weekend with the lackluster Mexico City card. And let's see if they could win over MMA fans, including myself. But let's break down the pay-per-view from this past weekend. UFC 298 in Anaheim. I went 8-3 and three on my picks. Solid picks for the night. That puts Bo's and TKO's 36 episodes in at 225 wins, 105 losses, and 5 no contests or draws. And on the year, we are 32-19 and 19 with two no contests or draws. Excuse my sniffles. I'm recovering from some sickness. Some good fights that we did not break down. We had Danny Barlow with a round three knockout over Josh Quinlan. Uh, this was a very interesting back and forth fight. Uh, Danny Barlow laying some shots throughout all three rounds. We had a very, very impressive knockout. These guys... Met in the middle and just clanged and banged. We had Zhang Mingyang with a round one knockout over Bredson Ribeiro. This was a performance of the night. 50 Gs for Zhang Mingyang. What a coming out performance for him. But we're going to kick this off in the early prelims where Miranda Maverick had a unanimous decision over the veteran Andrea Lee. This is a fight I did get wrong. I was taking the underdog shot with Andrea Lee. And, uh... This fight, I mean, was pretty lopsided. Miranda took it to Andrea. I really did not expect Miranda to be able to outstrike Lee like she had. She hasn't shown a ton of great striking. Uh, didn't look um, very spectacular in the Priscilla Cohera fight. I saw that in person. But Lee, I mean, she just wasn't very aggressive in this fight. You know, she's looking like she's slowing down, looking, looking more like her age. But you got to give Miranda props for the improvement since her last fight in July. And again, I'm not sure if this is on Andrea. She just didn't show up that night. Or Miranda. She's really been putting in the work, really growing as a striker. Uh, but this one caught me by a little bit of a surprise. This was a pretty dominant fight by Miranda Maverick. When we break down the stats, Andrea landed 59 total strikes. 36 of those significant with two takedowns and three attempts. She did have a submission attempt as well. But Miranda landed 106 total strikes, 66 of those significant, and she had three takedowns and eight attempts of her own. So pretty much doubled the volume and output of Andrea. Miranda now extends her winning streak to two. She is an impressive four and one since 2022. And Andrea extends her losing streak to four. She has not won since November of 2021. <coughs> So what's next for these ladies? I say give me Miranda Maverick and Talia Santos. I think that'd be a fantastic matchup. And I'm not sure if Andrea is going to be in the UFC much longer, if at all. 
If she does fight in the UFC again, how about a scrap with J.J. Aldrich? Moving on to the prelims, one of the crazier stories of the card, Junior Taffa stepping in for his brother Justin Taffa in 24 hours notice to take on the ranked Marcos Rogeria de Lima. Well, Marcos got a, a pretty nice, easy, clean round two TKO over Junior Taffa. And the storyline here was Junior, you know, kind of keeping the fight alive, keeping the fight an opportunity. But Marcos had a simple game plan. It was attack the leg and calf of Junior. By round two, it was chop suey, hit it one more time. Junior fell down. Marcos came in and got the finish. Uh, Junior, you know, it's it's not easy to come in on short notice like that, take shots to the leg. Um, but Marcos eliminated the striking and power that Junior possesses. Went through the fight pretty easily. The stats show that. Marcos landed 63 total strikes. 33 of those significant. He had a takedown in three attempts and that knockdown. And Junior only landed 17 total and 11 significant strikes. But uh, huge win for Marcos coming off that nasty flying knee from Derek Lewis in Salt Lake City. Got to see that in person. So Marcos now starts a new winning streak. He moves to 3-2 since 2022. He moves up one spot in the rankings to number 14. And Junior starts a new losing streak and is 1-2 in the UFC. I think the next appropriate fight for Marcos would be Alexander Romanov. I think that would be a fantastic matchup. And for Junior, he could bang with Jamal Pogues, um, who recently just took a loss as well. Then moving into the prelim headliner, we had Amanda Lemos with the unanimous decision over Mackenzie Dern. This is actually fight of the night, 50 Gs. And I don't know if I necessarily agree with the fight of the night here. But it was, although a dominant performance through a lot of the parts, somewhat of a weird performance by Amanda Lemos. She had so many opportunities to get a, a, a finish in this fight. And I feel like when she was doing things that, that were getting close to a finish, when she had McKinsey rocked or in a bad spot, she then would not have that aggressive nature to get the finish, that killer instinct. She would do something like clinch with McKinsey, or when she knocked her down and McKinsey kind of covered up her face, I thought the judge could even have called it at that point. I thought she had broken a nose or something. But Amanda Lemos let her have a moment and let her get back, you know, mentally and, and get into the fight. So I just figured there was a lot of opportunities for Lemos to get this. She let McKinsey kind of hang around and ran three, and that almost cost her. Um, Amanda had McKinsey's leg torched with the low leg kicks and calf kicks. She didn't continue to hit that later in the fight. I thought she could have got a finish just through the leg kicks. And for McKenzie, you do have to give her props taking this fight on short notice. How tough and durable she is. She won't quit. You know, she's a, a grappling stud. Her dad's uh, a legend in the sport. And, and, and she's not going to just accept defeat. Again, I thought when Amanda originally rocked her and knocked her down, that she was covering up her face and was giving up. Uh, some to broken nose. Um, but that wasn't the case. Uh, Amanda let McKenzie get that moment of clarity and was able to go all three rounds. And at the third round, McKenzie had some opportunities that looked like she might be able to get a finish, uh, find a way. She came on strong. She was landing big shots. Had Amanda hit a couple times and had some submission attempt opportunities. Um, but for me, the clear storyline, some people I, I saw thought that McKenzie won. I don't think that's the case at all here. 
Um, I mean, McKenzie was so close to being finished multiple times for multiple rounds. But for me, you know, McKenzie getting beat up by Jessica Andrade, changing coaches, having the divorce, going through so much stuff. She, it doesn't seem like she's taking the time to really focus on her striking and try to improve. If she wants to compete with these women that are the best of the best in the strawweight division, you got to work on that striking. But again, props to her for giving it a go, taking the fight on short notice. But this was a, uh, this was just kind of another performance that uh, it's tough to consume if you're Mackenzie Dern. Statistically, Amanda landed 47 total strikes, 41 of them significant. She had a knockdown and two takedowns. And McKenzie landed 50 total strikes, 21 of those significant. She had two reversals and a takedown and three attempts. So now Amanda starts a new winning streak. She is 3-2 and two since 2022. She stays at 3 in the rankings. And McKenzie extends that losing streak to 2. She is 2-3 two and three since 2022 and moves down one spot in the rankings to number 8. And I really think that uh, Amanda should be rebooked with Tatiana Suarez, who pulled out of this original fight due to injury. I think that's the move to make. And for McKenzie, again, I think she should take some time off, maybe even a year, work on her striking, get a, a coaching team that she's going to stick with and really come up with a good game plan. And, you know, knowing McKenzie, that won't be the case. But when she returns, I would like to see her take on someone like a Carolina Kowalsiewicz Someone right outside the top 15, not a killer in the top five on short notice. That would be the ideal move if I were uh, giving her recommendations. Then in the main card, what a performance by Anthony Hernandez with a round two submission via rear naked choke over Roman Kapolov. This was performance of the night, 50 G's for Fluffy. And, and this was just a fun performance by Anthony. You know, he's on quite the winning streak. I just think this was one of the more impressive wins for Anthony. And it was said that the crowd in Anaheim was as loud as it was the entire night when Fluffy was seeking in that rear naked choke, kind of smiling, talking a little bit of shit. And in this fight, he just, he knew the striking and power potential that Roman possessed. And he was just relentless with his, uh, his forward uh, movement, continually looking for takedowns early and often and mixing in the strikes to, to open up those takedowns and keep Roman thinking. By the end of round one, you know, Anthony's coming forward, shot, shot, go for a takedown, jab, left, right, go for a takedown. Roman was never able to create space and have that, um, that moment to be able to uh, unleash deadly combos. And by the end of round one, he was pretty much gassed. So round two, Anthony got the takedown, and uh, was able to, to progress positions to get in that rear naked choke. But, you know, Roman taking a, the fight on short notice, a little bit of a high risk that hasn't worked the best for people lately. Um, he was filling in for the original opponent, Ikram Alaskarov, uh, which would have been a fun, fun fight for Anthony. Now, statistically, Anthony landed 39 total strikes, 34 of those significant with three takedowns. Although in 14 attempts, so, you know, Roman, he was, he, was, he was doing his best that he could. He was defending takedowns, trying to uh, uh, create that space to land those strikes. But when someone's basically throwing 14 takedown attempts or 13 of those in the first round, uh, you know, that, that's going to be tough. Uh, Roman also had two submission attempts, or uh, Anthony had two submission attempts. And Roman landed 41 total, so actually a couple more strikes than Anthony did and 35 significant. 
So now Anthony extends his winning streak to five, five since 2021. So not crazy active, but still some big wins. He moves up two spots in the rankings to number 13. And Roman ends his impressive four-fight winning streak and starts a new losing streak. I don't really know where to go with Anthony now. I mean, maybe they give him the Ikram fight. I think it'd be fun to see how he would fare against Roman Delidze. And for Roman, how about a matchup with Rodolfo Vieira, who's coming off a nice victory himself. Then in the bantamweight division, we had Marab Dwalishwili with the unanimous decision over Triple C, Henry Cejudo. I've heard this online. I don't know the validity to it. But the word has come out that Henry was battling an injury coming into this fight and wasn't able to spar very much. I thought there was something going on because he just didn't look like the Triple C that that we've seen even in the Aljo fight. Um, after the first round, Henry just wasn't what didn't have a lot in the in the gas tank, but he wasn't the usual aggressiveness. Uh, didn't have the aggressive nature that he usually shows. I thought he got basically outdone everywhere in this fight, even in wrestling, clearly. I mean, Marab had picked Henry up, walked him to the octagon, across the octagon, slammed him down. Um, he was out striking Henry besides the first round. He out cardioed Henry and uh, just made him look like the more superior wrestler. But I think the highlight for everybody in this fight was Marab standing up, having Henry in a guillotine at the end of round two and was talking to Mark Zuckerberg, chopping it up. Um, what a scene in Anaheim for the machine, Marab Dwalish Sweely. Um, statistically, very Marab-like. He landed 167 total strikes, 74 of them significant. He had five takedowns against the wrestling gold medalist in 11 attempts with the submission attempt. And Henry landed 54 total strikes, 29 of those significant. He had one takedown in seven attempts. Not very good there. But Marab, I mean, his path to the title now is undeniable with a 10-fight winning streak. Um, basically, he's on a winning streak. In his, once he got to the UFC, he lost two fights in a row and has won ever since. He does move up to the number one contender spot. And Henry extends his losing streak to two. Both fights since he retired the first time. Uh, he has not won since uh, 2020. And there is, I haven't seen anything official, but supposedly he will be retired officially for the final time. And it seems like that is probably the case. I mean, he's 37 years old, you know, wrestled as a young kid, went to the Olympics, UFC. That, that'll wear on you. And it's starting to show for Triple C. What a performance by Marab, though. He is coming. Moving on, we had Ian Machado Gary with a split decision victory over Jeff Neal. And this kind of reminded me of an Izzy fight, maybe an Izzy Jared Cannonier, uh, an Izzy Yoel Romero. Ian knew very much the, the power that Jeff possesses, and he knew that he was the faster striker, so he was using his length to stay at range pick Neil apart and outscore him to win rounds. Although by a slim margin, uh, he, he won the rounds and he now stays undefeated in the UFC. Jeff definitely had some moments, but I was surprised that Jeff, when he was in control, would go to try to clinch up with Ian against the cage. Maybe wear on him, maybe find some openings. He wasn't looking to take him down. 
wasn't dirty boxing much, and Ian Ian was really kind of controlling the clinch. So I, I I figured Jeff would try to create distance and continue to strike, try to land a power shot. But um, when when an, an opponent's picking at you over the course of three rounds, fifteen minutes, and is you know teep kick, high kick, you're blocking a kick, taking shots. I mean that could wear on you as well. But I was just a little shocked by Jeff's game plan in this fight, and it is well known that. You know, all the, the crap that Ian's got. He's been getting booed. He's been joked about his wife being away with the book and everything else. But for me, what's really starting to show is he's been a vegetarian for quite some time now. He's just looking so slim. Doesn't look like he has gained any muscle at all. He doesn't look like he has any protein intake. Um, when it comes to Ian as a fighter, he is a very talented fighter. Um, but with all the shit talking he did, the mugshot, um, you know, the trash talking to Neil, being an abusive father, acting like he's going to knock everybody out, and he's next—he's the next Conor McGregor. Plus, changing gyms, he now trains at Shootbox. You know, he's living in Brazil with his family. This did not bring any excitement for Ian Gary and his potential. He did get the win, but you know, if you're going to talk all that ish, you got to back it up sometimes. And I think the vegetarian thing is going to be interesting to see, especially in his next few fights. Um, you know, in this fight, very specifically, a few of these rounds were very close, but I do think Ian won the fight. He outstruck, he outlanded, and although he's moving back, he was still landing shots. And um, I I'm not shocked by the decision, but not a very buzzworthy, impressive win for Ian Machado Gary. Now, statistically, Ian landed 80 total strikes, 67 of them significant, um, compared to Jeff's 57 total and 46 significant. So that the, the strike totals tell a good story. Ian with 63 more total strikes and 21 more significant. Um, as mentioned, Ian stays undefeated. He has on a 14-fight winning streak, 7-0 in the UFC, he moves up four spots in the rankings to number six. And Jeff extends his losing streak to two. He is now two and one since 2022 and moves down one spot in the rankings to number nine. Ian's mentioned this before the fight, mentioned it in the post-fight uh, interview. He is call calling for Colby Chaos Covington. I don't think that that's a bad fight. I think that brings a lot of buzz. It's a great fight. I think Colby potentially would take that fight. Who knows if that's the case? Colby Covington, you have no clue. Uh, but I'm going to go for it. Let's go with Ian and Colby Covington. And for Jeff, I think he should book a banger in his next fight. And I think the banger would be the winner of Kevin Holland and Michael Page, the ex-Bellator stud uh, that is going down in Miami, 299, UFC 299. Uh, Jeff did fight Kevin Holland pre-UFC. He fought him in 2017 and lost to him for the Extreme Knockout Championship. I think those would be fantastic matchups. He should get the winner of that fight. Moving on in the co-main event, the fight that I thought deserved fight of the night. We had the OG former champion, Robert Whitaker, with a unanimous decision over Paula Costa. And it seems like this is a fight, you know, it's been booked before that, that could have happened years ago when Robert was a champion. Um, now it's happening and Robert still comes out on top. Again, I feel like the fact that these guys didn't get a bonus is, is, is a little bit mind boggling. Um, but the fight was everything you expected it to be. 
two gladiators meeting in the middle, clanging and banging for 15 minutes. But for, you know, as much experience that Robert has, ha- uh, taking a pretty tough L against the, the now champion, uh, Dracus Duplessis, his striking looked very slick. He was sneaky with his right hand. The biggest storyline, though, was, again, the lower leg calf kicks. We saw a lot of brutality in some of these calf kicks and lower kicks uh, during this card. But Robert was landing them early. You could see the shin probably about this thick. You know, if, if, if this is my leg, it's just popped out of the swelling from the leg kicks that Robert possessed. And he kept going through them here and there throughout the fight. Paulo was landing his fair share of leg kicks, but more upper thigh, uh, more by the knee, and you could see the bruising in Robert's leg with the lighter skin um, tonality. You could definitely see Robert wearing it, but golly, was Paulo's leg shattered. But to be honest, Paulo is a freaking animal. I don't know if it's the secret juice or just the genetics this guy possesses, but he kept a, uh, a poker face, kept coming forward, kept his left leg in front, and kept moving forward and taking those shots, although you could see he could barely put any weight on that leg. So for a lot of fighters, I don't think they could have done that um, as well as Paulo did, Uh, but he was able to continue eating those, and Paulo had his moment. Paulo, at the end of round one, after pretty much getting dominated, lands a spinning wheel kick, spinning hill kick, whatever you want to call it, lands clean on Robert Whitaker, and about 10 seconds left in the round, Robert was able to make it to the bell. Um, there's also rumor with Paulo. Well, there's not really rumor. I mean, Paulo hasn't been super active. His last fight was against Luke Rockhold. He had a fight, multiple fights, I believe, booked since then, including the Kamzat Chemayev fight before he got staph infection in the Abu Dhabi card uh, where he had to pull out. And he's put together multiple training camps You know, since his last fight. There's rumors that he's been putting on uh, way too many gym wars. Uh, one of his team coaches had, had mentioned that. So there's an opportunity that he could be wore out. But I didn't think he showed that. I don't think the, the wars in the gyms mattered. He showed the cardio for 15 rounds. He took a ton of shots from Robert Whitaker. And I'm pretty positive had to have left this fight on a wheelchair after the leg. I mean, that thing was straight mangled. But you want to know it in the fight besides seeing it because he wore a good poker face and just kept coming forward, kept throwing fights. And that's where the gladiators show out. That's where you put two badass dudes in the octagon. It's an almost certified banger. Um, again, both guys, a lot of damage delivered, a lot of damage taken. I had Robert winning rounds one and two, potentially round three. It seemed like he was kind of coasting a little bit, not wanting to put himself into too much danger. Uh, Paulo acted like he was shocked about this. I think the closest decision was the Ian Machado-Gary fight. Uh, I am not surprised about Robert. You could debate he won all three rounds here. The stats tell a pretty similar story. Robert landed 95 total and significant strikes. He was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. And Paulo Costa landed 67 total and significant strikes of his own. So almost 30 less total strikes. So now Robert starts a new winning streak. He's only 2-2 two two since 2022. He stays at 3 in the rankings. And Paulo starts a new losing streak. He is only 1-1 one one since 2022. But he's got that new contract. He does move down one spot in the rankings to number 7. And I think there's easy math, easy matchmaking here. 
another fight that you kind of thought already happened uh, that could have happened even during Robert's uh, title reign. Give me Robert Whitaker, Sean Strickland. That's a certified banger. Matchmakers, we got to make that happen. And for Paulo, there isn't a lack of opponents for him to fight. I think the one to make, though, would be Jack Hermanson, who just put on a fantastic performance. I think stylistically, that's a fun fight. Uh, either way, can't wait to see both of these dudes in the octagon. And then in the main event, the Shocker in Anaheim, the young stud El Matador, Ilya Toporia, with a round two knockout over Alexander Volkanovsky. Clearly a performance of the night award. 50 Gs to the young lad. And this was one of the three fights I did get wrong. Um, I just mean, man, man, oh man, what a performance by Ilya. Whether you love him or hate him, he was confident the entire camp. I almost wasn't sure if it was fake and he was trying to convince himself because he acts so confident. He said he was going to knock out Volkanovsky. He called his shot, found the chin beautifully in round two. And for Volkanovsky, he just doesn't look the same, man. He doesn't look, you know, the Islam fights, it's hard to say, especially the short notice one. Supposedly he wasn't training. He was drinking wine before. He doesn't look like the dominant Alexander Volkanovsky that beat Max Holloway three times. Um, he looked timid. He looked timid with coming forward. He was wary of Taporia's power, trying to trying to measure him out a little bit. And he was attacking a lot with the leg kicks, which he does. But I figured that he would have a more mixed repertoire, you know, try to push the pace forward, maybe look for some grappling. Um, but in the first round, Ilya was so patient. You could tell he was just trying to measure up the right moment, find a way to cut off Alexander Volkanovsky. Because in the second round, when he had Alex against the cage, he was kind of trapped back there, unleashed a beautiful three-punch combo. All of them landed the second one on the chin, and it was a complete, beautiful knockout by the new featherweight champion, Ilya Taporia. Again, brutal for Volk, one of the best, you know, former pound-for-pound champion. Um, I, I really don't know what's next for Volkanovsky. But I just felt like watching the start of round one, the fight just seemed weird. Alexander didn't look to have that confidence, that moxie, that swagger. He seemed a little timid, and he only got knocked out basically four months before by a head kick. So back-to-back -back knockouts, that, that that's definitely going to play a part in anything. Statistically, Ilya landed 36 total strikes, 35 of them significant with the knockdown. And Alexander landed 47 total and significant strikes. He did win round one if it were to go to the judges' scorecard, but you could tell um, that the night was all about Ilya. Volkanovsky now extends his losing streak to two. He is three and three since 2022. Kind of wild to think about. But this is his first featherweight loss in the UFC. It ends his 12-fight winning streak in the featherweight division. He is now the number one contender. Ilya stays undefeated with his 15-fight winning streak, 7-0 in the UFC. I mean, this dude is the real deal. I did pick Volkanovski. I thought the timing that, you know, Ilya was going to be a little young. He isn't a super proven fighter, uh, but that was definitely not the case. Ilya, for his next fight, though, is in a little bit of a predicament, if you ask me. He's calling for the Conor McGregor fight. I don't see that happening any way in hell. 
Uh, my best educated guess, I posted this on Matchmaker Monday, is that he fights Mosar Evloev. He was supposed to fight him back in 2022. Mosar is also a young fighter on an 18-fight winning streak. 8-0 in the UFC. He has earned his opportunity just like Ilya has. And why? Well, Yair and Brian Ortega are fighting tomorrow. Max is booked. The way Yair and Brian fought, not that often. I don't expect them to be fighting Ilya anytime soon. Ilya says he doesn't want to fight him anyways. So he could fight the winner and wait for the Yair and Ortega. Uh, but I, I don't think that'll be the case. Ilya himself only fought once last year. And for Volkanovsky, it's a little bit of uh, hazy water as well. You know, he's called for the automatic rematch. You know he wants to stay active. But after back-to-back -back knockouts, I do think it's wise to take some time off, dang near a year off. You know, he's been knocked out twice in the span of four months. That, that's, that can't be good for your confidence, your mentality, and just your brain health in general. With Volkanovski, though, who knows? He might be wanting to go into Spain this summer. Who, who, who freaking knows? Uh, he's the number former number one pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world. He deserves a rematch. I just hope he takes some time, takes some time for himself and uh, really gets back into the lab. I mean, he challenged one of the goats as well, Islam Makachev for champ champ, and, and pushed him and gave him every bit of a, of a battle in that fight. But man, Ilya Teporia, the UFC supposedly, you know, really gave him the bag uh, recently trying to keep him in the UFC with a new contract. They saw a, a star potential his jiu-jitsu, his grappling, his striking is fundamentally amazing. He's not even in his prime yet. And supposedly he will be uh, headlining a new UFC first-time bout in Spain in the new uh, soccer arena that has a uh, retractable roof. Could you imagine the scenes that think it holds like sixty to 80,000 people? Watch out. A new star is born. El Matador. Congratulations. So that sets us up this weekend for another fight night card, but this time not in the apex. We're going to Mexico City uh, with the prelims at 4 p.m. Pacific, main card 7 p.m. Pacific on ESPN+. And although earlier in the day we have the Bell Bellator PFL card happening, as I mentioned at the top of the show, it'll be interesting to see what the product is in comparison and if the UFC could continue to dominate because I am not a massive fan of this card. There's some decent fights. I feel like there's a lot of lopsided fights, not a lot of big names. So we're not breaking down uh, a majority here. Some good fights that we will not break down. Muhammad Naimov, who's looked pretty solid so far, will be taking on Eric Silva. I'm taking Naimov in that fight. We have Contender Series alum Victor Altamirano and Felipe Dos Santos. We have the grappling heavy Claudio Puez taking on Ferris Ziam. Taking Ziam in that fight. And then we have Contender Series alums, Manuel Torres and Chris Duncan fighting. I'll be taking Torres in that fight. And then Daniel Zellhuber and Francisco Prado in the main card. I'll be taking Daniel Zellhuber in this fight. The challenge is, is we had Edgar Chárez taking on Daniel Lacerda for the second time. And both men missed weight. One guy missed it by a pound. One guy missed it by four pounds. I think Chárez missed by four pounds. These guys were supposed to fight September 16th. There was a premature stoppage. 
So it got rebooked again. I'm going to see if the fight is still on at this point. Let's see. I mean, four pounds. I, I mean, pfft, brutal. It's like, do you even want to make the fight happen? It's off due to a non-weight-cutting related medical issue for Lacerda. So the fight will not be happening anyways. Brutal for them. Hopefully they can maybe make that happen next week. Who knows what the deal is there. Um, but that was the only weight cut issue that happened this morning. So we're going to break down one fight in the prelims and only two in the or three in the main card. We're going to start in the prelims. We got Rayoni Barcelos, the 36-year-old fighter with a 17-5 and record, taking on Christian El Nino Problema Quinones. 27 years old with an 18 and 4 record. Now, this is an interesting fight between two men who are in different stages in their career. Rayoni has fought some of the best of the best and has continued to fight a bunch of young studs. Christian is somewhat new to the UFC from his Dana White Contender Series victory. He's looking to get back on track after a tough round one loss to Kyung Ho Kong. But breaking it down, Rayoni has a wrestling and BJJ background. He has a black belt in BJJ. He won the IBJJF Worlds in 2002, 2003, and 2006. He is an RFA alum and former champion with two successful title defenses. He's on a two-fight losing streak and is 1-3 since 2022. And eight of his 17 wins are via knockout. Christian is a jungle fight, brave, and contender series alum. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 2-1 in the UFC. 10 of his 18 wins are via knockout, and he does have a 3-inch reach advantage in this fight. Now, Christian, you know, he's got a lot of pro fights, some solid experience for only being 27 years old. He's not even in his prime yet, a ton of room to grow. I do think at this moment, Rayoni is a more talented fighter and is more well-rounded than Quinones. I do think Rayoni is going to continue to take chances uh, as he's been a little risky in his last few fights. I think he's going to come out with a grappling heavy attack. And I wouldn't be surprised if Christian comes out aggressive, tries to land a big shot early to get the finish, but I'm not betting on that. I think Barcelos is, um, you know, uh, going to be acceptable to a knockout. He's a little older, lots of damage, um, has taken some L's recently, but I am taking Rayoni. I am not putting this fight on a parlay, though, if possible. Moving on in the main card, we have Raul El Nino Problema Rosas Jr., 19 years old with an 8-1 record, taking on Pretty Ricky Tercios, 30 years old with a 13-3 record. Now, I'm actually pretty excited for this fight. It's a very fun fight between two very aggressive and wild st stylistic fighters. Ricky... 30 years old is just now entering as his prime. And I don't think he could afford a loss to a 19-year-old fighter if he wants to stay in the UFC, let alone move up the rankings in this very deep bantamweight division. And for Raul, the haters are definitely out. 
you know, he's taken a loss in the UFC. Uh, people want to prove him wrong. He's still a young kid, not even really hardly an adult. Uh, but he's going to look to show off what he can do against the former Ultimate Fighter champion, which is a pretty stiff competition. Breaking this down, Raul trains out of 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu in Las Vegas. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 3-1 in the UFC. He is a Contender Series alum, and five of his eight wins are via submission. Now, Ricky trains out of Team Alpha Male. He's on a one-fight winning streak and is 2-1 in the UFC. He's a Bellator Contender Series King of the Cage and Ultimate Fighter alum and champion, and he has a 4-inch reach advantage in this fight. Thought I had a sneeze there. I'm sick of being sick, you know what I mean? Um, I do feel like the Vegas odds aren't giving Ricky much credit in this fight. I think he's like minus 400 is Raul. But I do think this is a closer fight than the odds suggest. And I do think the longer the fight goes on, it's going to favor Ricky more and plays to his strengths. As we saw Raul gas out after going balls to the wall in round one when he lost to Christian Rodriguez. That might have been a learning experience for him. Raul might come out aggressive again, think he could get the finish. But I do think Raul is going to have to put his striking to work. I don't think he'll easily be able to get Ricky down. Maybe he can, but can he hold him there, get the submission finish? That is to be seen. I am taking the young Raul Rosas Jr., but I am avoiding him on a parlay if possible. I think this is a, an interesting and intriguing fight for him. The fight that I am most excited for is a Mexican showdown. We have Yair El Pantera Rodriguez, 31 years old, with a 16-4 and record and the number three next to his name, taking on Brian T-City Ortega, 33 years old, with a 15-3 and record and the number four next to his name. Now, I was really excited to see this fight play out in 2022. But in that fight, Brian in the first round suffered a shoulder injury and the fight never really played out. But the fact that both of these men are fighting in Mexico is going to make this straight chaos in my mind. I think the fans are going to be wild, the energy, the aura. And I think Brian is really the better all-around fighter. Great grappling, amazing jiu-jitsu, and has very slick boxing. Yeah, here though is really a problem for anyone when it comes to his unorthodox striking, the angles, the speed, the distance control that he has. But I don't think he will be the one that's pushing forward majority of the fight. And uh, I don't think he's going to have the ability to lose in this fight. Um, be, or I, I don't think he's going to have the, the ability to close distance in this fight because Brian's going to uh, pressure him, control him. He's going to stay out of kicking range. Look to get dirty boxing up against the cage, get that grappling gone. And I do think that he will uh, control the center of the octagon for majority of the, of the fight. Breaking it down, Yair has a kickboxing style. He has a black belt in Taekwondo. He is an Ultimate Fighter Latin America alum and champion of that uh, season. He is the former interim featherweight champion. Eight of his 12 fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. This guy is certified box office. He shows up. He shows out. He has the latest knockout in UFC history at 4 minutes and 59 seconds of the fifth round against the Korean Zombie, which was the 2018 knockout of the year. 
the freaking up elbow, insane. How do you even think of that at, you know, almost the 25th minute of being exhausted? This, this guy's crazy, man. He's on a one-fight losing streak and is 2-1 since 2022. Eight of his 19 wins are via knockout, five via submission. So 13 of his 19 wins are via finish, and three of his four losses are via knockout. Now, Brian has a first-degree black belt in BJJ. Five of his last seven fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He also shows up and shows out. He's the 2017 Breakthrough Fighter of the Year, 2021 Fighter of the Year against Alexander Volkanovsky, where he almost finished the former pound-for-pound champion. He is an RFA alum and former champion. He's on a two-fight losing streak, but technically has only fought once since 2020 and his loss to Volkanovsky. Seven of his 15 wins are via submission. Two of his three losses are via knockout. So both guys, lots of submission victories. Uh, a few losses via knockout. Now, both of these men have honestly showed all the potential in the world. They have had, you know, a couple years of not a lot of activity, battled injuries, COVID, the whole thing. But especially with Brian Ortega right now, you don't know where he is. You don't know how much training he's put in. You know, he had a public relationship with Tracy Cortez. That didn't go well. Recovering from the shoulder. But a guy who's a first-degree black belt, you would think he's always in the gym. He is going to showdown with Yair Rodriguez in Mexico. You think he's going to be the best version of himself, but you really don't know. The wild thing here is both men are just now in the middle of their primes. They've been around for a long time. Everything's in, uh, on the line in this fight in their home country. Viva la Mexico! I do think that Yair comes on strong early. But Brian is able to weather the storm and use his grappling to steal some rounds. For that reason, I'm taking T-City. I'm taking Brian Ortega. But I am not confident in a parlay in this fight. And then in the main event, we got Brandon, the assassin baby Moreno. 30 years old with a 21-7-2 and record. And the number one next to his name, taking on Brandon Radog Royval. 31 years old with a 15-7 and seven record and the number three next to his name. I am honestly bummed that the original fight against Amir Albazi for Brandon didn't, isn't happening. He had a withdrawal from the fight due to injury. But Brandon Royval now gets another chance in another rematch as he just rematched Alexand Alexandre Pantoja for the title and did not get a victory. The first fight between these guys was in 2020. Brandon Moreno won via a round one TKO. But the thing here is, I don't know what Brandon Royval is going to be able to do to win this time around. I think he's going to take a lot of chances with the striking, look to do some crazy submissions. I don't think he's going to be able to outpoint or really challenge Moreno anywhere the fight goes. Now, Moreno, very tough dude. Hard to finish him. He is a big challenge for the raw dog. He has not been finished in his pro career. So again, I'm not too sure how Brandon Royval is going to win the Battle of Brandons in Mexico. Breaking this down, Moreno trains out of Fortis MMA. He's got a black belt in BJJ. He is an LFA uh, former alum and champion and an Ultimate Fighter alum. 
He's the former flyweight champion. He's the first Mexican champion in UFC history. He is beloved by the country. This place is going to go bonkers. And the win, potential win, the walkout, the whole the whole song and dance, especially after that T-City, Yair Rodriguez fight. And that just shows you how much he is loved by the fans, especially Mexico, as he is main eventing over those guys. He is, uh, five of his last six fights have been performance of the night or fight of the night. The guy is certified box office. He shows up, he shows out some of the most fun fights I've ever seen. He had the 2021 submission of the year and his second fight against Divison Figueredo. He's on a one fight losing streak and is two and two since 2022 and 11 of his 21 wins are via submission. Now, Brandon trains out of factory X. He's got a black belt in BJJ. Four of his eight UFC fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He also shows up and he also shows out. He is on a one fight losing streak and is three and one since 2022. He's a world series of fighting an LFA alum and former champion. Eight of his 15 wins are via submission five via knockout. So 13 of his 15 wins have come via finish. I mean, these guys in the, the last two fights here, they are performance of the night bonus machines. You'd expect it to show out, but the card overall, I do think is a little bit lackluster. When it comes to the main event, again, I think a lot of this is mentality. When you've beaten someone before, you, you kind of know who's the alpha, alpha male, so to speak. You can improve over time, but I think Brandon's fought better competition, is more well-rounded, and Roy Vall has to be taking chances because he has to have the awareness that this is his last chance at the top of the division. Another rematch chance. You can't lose another rematch chance. Um, and he's only getting this fight due to injury fill-in. He's in his prime right now. So is Moreno. But Moreno is the better MMA grappler, the better striker. Roy Vall might have a little bit of a jiu-jitsu advantage. But I think the mentality issue is going to favor the baby assassin. For that reason, I'm taking Brandon Moreno. I am putting the assassin baby on my parlay. We marking that ish down and we getting that bread. That sets us up for another fight night card next weekend. We get go back to the apex, but this is actually a solid card. I like it more than the Mexico card. It's headlined by Jarzinho, Rosenstrike, and Shamil Gaziev. And then we'll be heading to Miami late that week for UFC 299. I'll have to shoot the pod early that week. Right after Miami, I go to Boston for work and come back late. We'll have another late pod that coming week. But this is episode 36, Viva La Mexico. I'm your host, Shane Gillette. See you next week.